now, introducing the queen of men's health. Welcome to the Allie Gilbert Podcast, where you'll find the premier men's health info delivered to you the only way I know how, truthful and raw, with the occasional boner joke thrown in. If you guys like this episode, subscribe to my YouTube and slide in the DMs on Instagram and join the party. Hey, Dr. Adam Hotchkiss, what's up, dude? Hey, thanks for having me finally got you on. So you are going to be speaking at Silverback, which I'm super pumped about. And basically, I want to introduce my audience who may not know you yet, exactly who you are and your background and how you got with Merrick Health and everything. So um, can you go into kind of how you became a doctor and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, for sure. It's a pretty long story and I'll try not to bore everybody, but essentially (laughs) I never, it was never what I thought was never in my cards to become a doctor. You know, I wasn't like your stereotypical kid who's acing everything in high school. And you know, that guys go in places and their dad's a doctor and everything, you know, it was never like that for me. And if you would have asked me at 18, would I be a doctor? I would have laughed. Um, I was a little punk skater kid. I had dyed black hair and skinny jeans and scrawny 135 pounds at five foot 11. Um, so, you know, after graduating, I kind of partied for a few years and ended up kind of getting in trouble. And then also just stepping back and taking a look at my life and going like, what the hell am I doing? I'm about to be 20. And I, I'd hurt myself pretty bad in skateboarding. I'm like, I'm not making money at this. I don't really even have a good job. I'm not in school. Like what I'm going to do with the rest of my life, which I'm glad I had the ability to do that because some people don't and then their life just stays on the trajectory. And so I'm kind of in my life, like I do everything either like if I'm going to do it, it's 110%, you know, there's no moderation for me. So I remember literally having that thought and like going home and shaving my head, throwing away all my little skinny clothes, reshopping so I could look presentable in society, got a gym membership and just became obsessed with working out. And that's kind of what spiraled everything. So like I said, I take everything 110%. So I'd work out and then I'd be home all night for starting on like forums and getting bigger into just reading basic biology texts and looking at literature. So then I signed up at my recent, or at my local community college and started doing science courses. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll be a personal trainer. And I got that. And I thought I want more. Maybe I'll be a nurse. And then I thought, no, I think I could do more than that. I think maybe I'll be like a physician assistant. And I also was kind of under this assumption that I couldn't become a doctor because I wasn't really bred into it. And I definitely thought that there was like a certain breed of people who become doctors and they're probably rich and, you know, take yachts in the summer and live in the Hamptons and stuff. And I thought, you know, that wasn't me. Um, so I started shadowing a doctor who had a physician assistant in his practice. And I was there for the whole summer. And eventually the, the doctor pulled me aside and was like, why do you want to be a PA? Like, why don't you just be a physician? You're, you're intelligent enough to. And I told him kind of what I thought. And he was like, dude, I was a surfer up until like age 30 something, a surfer and a carpenter. And then I went back to school and then I, he became a dermatologist, which is a very lucrative and very hard to get into. And I was like, oh, wow. So you don't have to be on this certain trajectory, you know? Um, so it was at that point, I kind of changed my focus and continued on that path. So I definitely say like fitness is really the impetus that changed everything in my life is that love for for fitness and science and that's why I kind of continued into medicine and uh with your background it's in podiatry right yeah so when I was uh shadowing I really liked dermatology like that doctor was I loved that practice because there was a lot of uh 
like a lot of skin is fun to work with. It's not really like Botox and, and acne and stuff. It was a lot more skin cancer and doing little mini surgeries in the office and things like that. I loved that aspect, but I really liked orthopedic surgery as well. Um, and it was actually in that, uh, that dermatology office that one day he brought a, a podiatrist in to help him with a nail procedure. So we needed to remove a nail and he wasn't really comfortable with it. And podiatrists do a lot of nail surgery. I started talking to that podiatrist and he was telling me like, yeah, after this, I've got to go fix a broken ankle. And I was like, wait, so you do skin and bones? Like, this is awesome. This is the two things that I love to do. So I ended up going down the road of like foot and ankle surgery. Oh, that's cool. So how did you, you get into like the hormone side? Was that through fitness that you started learning about that stuff? Well, yeah. Cause uh, you know, again, I, I don't do anything with moderation. So inevitably after a few years of training, I became an enhanced trainer where, you know, I wanted to push the the limits and started doing a lot of self-experimentation with hormones. And so I didn't start in TRT whatsoever. I started at mega doses of steroids and kind of, uh, you know, played in that realm for years um, and did a lot of self-study on that and became kind of like, you know, uh, an expert in that field just through my own experimentation. And then combining that with my knowledge of medicine, because no matter what kind of doctor you are, you still learn basic biochemistry and pathology and physiology. And so I just kind of melded my own personal information and my own personal experience with the classic medical knowledge that I had. And luckily, you know, Merrick wanted uh, wanted somebody like me who did have that kind of experience of like, you know, more personal use and then the rest is history. Yeah, because you could speak on it because you have the experience. Can I ask what your craziest stack was? Oh, yeah, um, probably somewhere like, you know, probably at least like a gram of testosterone and then some trenbolone in there. Um, and then probably a few orals, like sometimes I would even mix like D-ball and, and Anadrol. Like I've done some crazy stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, that's probably the most, like probably a few grams of gear total weekly. Oh, my gosh. So I'll I'll probably do a lot of side tangents because that's fine. That's my ADD kicking in with. The gram of tests, because I know a lot of guys want to understand, like, what's the difference with how you feel with taking a gram of test versus TRT dose? One you feel like shit on and one you feel really good on. So <laughs> I always tell guys nowadays is, uh, you know, more is not better. And and guys experience that all the time. But I yeah. just had a, a patient yesterday who came in and his testosterone was like 1300. And he had noticed he's like, I feel a lot better when mine's 900. So we always think more is better, more is better, but everybody is different. And sometimes just a little bit more makes you feel not so great. But the kind of stuff that you experience with that, I mean, insomnia is big, you're sweating all night long. Um, you feel bloated, uncomfortable, you kind of feel, feel toxic from the inside. It's kind of weird. It's, uh, you just feel, you feel awful. You looking like when I was in it, I didn't really realize, but looking back now, you know, knowing how good I feel now, I'm like, Oh, I just felt awful. You just kind of always have this low grade type of inflammation and just nastiness occurring all the time. And, and like so many guys say, like you said, you know, should I go up? Should I add more? And this is a good kind of segue into talking about this because we do have so many listeners who are <clears throat> considering TRT or already on it. And not all of them are with Merrick Health yet, but mm -hmm. if they're thinking, oh, maybe I should go up in my dose, like what would be the qualifications for that? Is it a feel? Is it a lab marker? A little bit of both. And I think that's where kind of the beauty or the art of it comes in, because we don't want to focus 
just on symptoms because sometimes symptoms can be misleading. I mean, if you look at the symptoms of low testosterone, you can put that under 10, 20, 30 other diagnoses too, you know, like fatigue, lack of motivation, low libido, that can be so many other things, you know? So we can't just go solely based on that because maybe you're having low motivation and low libido because you're stressed and your cortisol levels are higher. Maybe it's because you're thyroid. So if you just think I'm only going to go off symptoms, you may inappropriately give yourself testosterone. And then conversely, you can't just go off of labs because like I said, that guy felt really good at 900. He didn't feel so good at 1300. And so um, the opposite is true for some guys, maybe they have like a 600 and maybe that's too low for them, even though it's within normal and maybe they don't feel their best until they're 1300. So it's kind of taking a mixture of the two and, you know, having that, that ability or that art to meld them. And then what else do you guys look at at Merrick that would kind of close the loop on a guy being optimal besides testosterone? Well, everything really. Um, but there's so much that goes into it. You want to make sure they're metabolically healthy. And so we're looking at fasting insulin, their A1C, their fasting glucose. Uh, you want to check out their thyroid. So we're doing pretty in-depth thyroid markers. So not only TSH and T4, but also T3 and reverse T3. Um, you want to lay their inflammation markers. So that's usually something like a CRP, but you can also look at things like ferritin. Um, what else would be really important for, I mean, there's other things too. So it depends on what your optimal is. Like, are you optimizing for longevity? Because then we start looking at a lot of the cardiovascular markers too, where, you know, it doesn't, nobody really feels when they have high lipids and, you know, high ApoB, but we do know that if we're trying to optimize for longevity, we should probably try to reduce that. So it kind of, again, is trying to figure out what you're optimizing for. And there's a ton of variables and we do very, very in-depth lab work. Cause I I've had guys like even this weekend, um, at Phaedrus's event, they're like, I want to be the most optimal I can be. And I think yeah. the clinic that I'm with is not necessarily helping me with that. Can Merrick help me with that? And I always want to understand what, what do they mean when they say yes. I want to be the most optimal, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. What do you guys mean when they say that? It's tough. I don't know either. I'm always trying to tease <laughs> that out because a lot of times I think like, do you just mean that you put on the most muscle as possible? And that's something kind of going back to your previous question too, like the difference between the gram of gear versus a TRT. Like, you know, I'll tell guys if the only thing you're trying to get out of coming here and being what you deem optimal is putting on more muscle, like that's not what TRT does really. I don't think TRT is great at building muscle. Um, as our friend Dave Lee always says, you know, TRT does give you the results that you deserve, but nothing more, you know, nothing less. So if you don't have your diet and your, your training all dialed in already, and you just add TRT into the equation, if it's true TRT, a true replacement of what your body should be producing, your gains aren't going to be really any better. And I've to this date, yet to see any data that shows that within normal physiologic ranges of testosterone, you're going to gain any more muscle, meaning a 600 doesn't gain less than a 900 and vice versa. There's there's no data to prove that. So it's not until you get into that super physiologic levels. And I think some guys are optimizing for muscle gain and they think, oh, mine's 400, but that upper end of normal looks like a thousand. I'd put on a lot more muscle then. It's probably not true. Yeah. The <laughs> Guys come after me because in a couple of reels lately, I was talking about how like, you know, testosterone or TRT alone is not going to provide exactly what you said in terms of muscle. 
And they're all like, well, there's studies that show that you can yeah. inject anabolic steroids and gain muscle. And I'm like, this is not anabolic steroids. Like, exactly. Are we yeah, so there's one study that it was, they gave, they gave people 600 milligrams of testosterone. So that's about six times a TRT dose. And they basically just let them sit on the couch and they did put on some muscle. I would argue that that muscle that they put on probably isn't even visible. So it's not the kind of gains that you're hoping for. They certainly didn't turn into Chris Bumstead. And, you know, it, and you're going to hit a ceiling there too. Just, just like bodybuilders do when they're ramping up, you know, those high amounts of gear, eventually you stop gaining because you have your own ceilings. So sure, they put on a little bit of weight in the beginning, but they probably weren't noticeably bigger. And it's probably something that is short lived. So yeah, like to your point, you know, that six times the TRT dose. <laughs> it's crazy, because that's like the whole um, reasoning for my GPP for TRT approach, which you're familiar with, and, and just getting guys to go into being in a healthy state. Um, can you talk on some of the conversations that you have with guys regarding their need to actually exercise and become less inflammatory before they go on TRT? Cause they came to you expecting that you would just give them a script right away. Yeah. The, the way that I've, that I look at it, that I think is easiest to understand is your body is producing the amount of testosterone that it can tolerate at that time. So when you're unhealthy, you know, you're only maybe producing 300 nanograms of a deciliter per, of testosterone, you know, that's what your body at that point can handle. So if all of a sudden we just ramp that up, we're going to wreak a lot of havoc. Um, you know, it, it's like uh, Dave and I say, it's like, you know, putting a, a super engine into like a beater car or filling it up with this, you know, premium fuel when you got a beat down old Honda. It's not going to do good. In fact, like if you put premium fuel in a car that can't handle it, it's actually worse for the car. And that's very similar to the body. So we need to build a healthy body that can tolerate those higher levels of testosterone first. And that's really hard for guys to understand. And I totally get that. And I'm super sympathetic to that because they're essentially saying like, I don't have the energy and the motivation and the willpower XYZ to do the exercise. Can you help me? And then we're saying, actually, you got to do the exercise first before we can help you. And that sucks. Um, but I think it is important to push through that. And you'll also, you know, get a lot of mental toughness and resilience through that. And sometimes you come out on the other side, not needing TRT. And that would be, you know, that's what everybody should be trying to do. In my opinion, we should be not needing TRT. If we can come out the other side of that and not need it, that's great. I think everybody now is like, hoping that they need TRT because of that false assumption that it's something magical, where really it's like, it should only be used if needed. And most guys maybe don't even need it if they were to fix some of the lifestyle stuff. Yeah. And, and I'm, I think it, we find that a lot in younger guys too now, like yeah. there are guys 30, 31 that message me and they're like, you know, am I too young? And I'm like, there's guys that are like 25 that are thinking, you know, the same type of thing because they're so overweight and just in a bad spot. And I know there's, there's times where men will get scripted TRT to help give them that motivation. Like, how do you differentiate between, I need you to do the work, but yeah, that's hard. I wish I had a better way of dealing with it. I think, I don't know, like in a perfect world, I think I would have like an, an entire 
practice where there was a gym and everything involved too. And we were really working on them, like maybe a membership thing, like, you know, they come in and buy three months with us and we put them through the first two months of training to try to, and we're constantly looking at their numbers, but we don't live in that perfect world. And a lot of guys are, you know, short on funds. And so sometimes we only see them once every few months and sometimes it is needed. And the way that we'll kind of navigate that is maybe starting with lower doses. Cause like we talked about, you, you may not be able to tolerate those higher ones due to how unhealthy you are. So maybe we start out with a lower dose, like 80 to hundred uh, milligrams a week where you know, a healthier guy may tolerate 150. Um, so that's kind of the way, or we try to concurrently do it and maybe try to fix them or speed up the process with medications like metformin or a GLP one or something. So that concurrently there's improvements. Um, I've even like in the younger guys, um, I like to use like in clomiphene, which is, you know, it's not a lot of people have their arguments against it, where I think it has the most utility is maybe in some of those younger guys as a trial to see if we can use that boost in testosterone to help them to have more motivation, have better recovery while concurrently getting fit. And then at the end of it all, we'll pull out the enclomiphene and see, you know, where your level's at. And if they've maintained higher without the enclomiphene, great, we've won, you know, and now we don't have to impact their fertility. We don't have to shut them down for life. So it's good for those trials. I definitely agree that it's not good for long-term. And, you know, if you're, if you're a guy who doesn't care about having children anymore, doesn't care about being stuck on TRT, then obviously TRT is always the winner. And enclomiphene has a lot of inherent downsides, but that's one of the times when I think it can be pretty beneficial. You know, we're talking like 19 year old guy who's obese and wanting to get fit maybe let's give you this for six months while we can currently do like a GLP one and a good training protocol and nutrition and everything and see on the other side of it, if we actually need hormones after all. And we'll get to the GLP ones, but can you kind of speak on some of the side effects that happen when obese guys inject testosterone and why that can kind of wreak havoc on their physiology? Yeah, ton of things happen. I mean, those are the guys who I see that elevated hematocrit hemoglobin more than anyone else, really, it seems like it, you know, like the insulin resistance seems to really fuel though, that kind of overproduction of red blood cells, which then leads to higher blood pressure. Um, I know a lot of people will talk about like, the increase in red blood cells and hematocrit hemoglobin with TRT is not equivalent to things like polycythemia vera. I don't think we have good data to say that it isn't really. I think it's more of a hypothesis and I don't like to risk it. I mean, if I looked in my, my hematocrit was 57, I wouldn't go, oh, it's fine. I'd be kind of afraid that, you know, we know in other conditions, this causes strokes and heart attacks and things, you know, I would be a little concerned. Um, so that's one of them. Um, also gyno, because that's probably the biggest thing is since they are obese, uh, fat cells, adipose tissue produce aromatase, the enzyme that converts testosterone into estrogen. So that's when you actually start dealing with estrogenic side effects because they're, they're kind of metabolizing or converting that testosterone into estrogen at a much higher rate than other guys would. And their ratio gets really skewed. And then they're dealing with gynecomastia and uh, you know, acne and, and uh, mood issues. So a lot of negative stuff when they're overweight and using too high of testosterone. I had, I think this was a record. Someone on Instagram messaged me. He has, his clinic has him blood donating every month. I'd heard of every two months, but I was like every month, he's like, I feel awful. And I was like, I bet what the, and he's not an obese person. He's lean. And he's like, yeah, my hematocrit was 52. And I was like, yeah, like anything below 54, I usually not too worried about when it gets over that. I think, you know, 
for some people, maybe a donation may be warranted, maybe, but maybe there's other issues that we should look into. You know, are you dosing appropriately? Is your dose too high? Maybe we can increase the frequency. Maybe we can improve your metabolic health. So there's a lot of things you can look at first. And I also think it's important to look at their iron because if they're, they have that high hematocrit, but they have lower iron, and then you just go give a donation, you just made them anemic or more anemic than they already were. So yeah, I definitely don't agree with the prophylactic or just like go give donations. Um, but I'm with most things I try to take like a middle approach where I'm not dogmatic. And unfortunately in this space, I think there's a lot of dogma because you've got the dogma of the classic endocrinology community that goes, everyone gets an AI and everyone gets blood donations. Now, now you've got this new dogma of the new TRT clinics that say, no, nobody gets donations. Nobody gets an AI. And I'm like, well, the truth is probably somewhere in between there. And it's probably a case by case basis. So I, you know, I joke that these newer clinics always say we're not cookie cutter. And I'm like, well, you are a cookie cutter. You're just a new kind of cookie. You know, you're, you're a different <laughs> cookie than that one, because everybody's getting the same thing. Everybody's getting three injections a week. Nobody's getting donations. Nobody's getting AIs. Yeah. So, you know, it is important to take it case by case basis, I think. And I just don't like dogma in any space and nutrition and politics and anything. It's all, you know, I think we're, we're very inclined to jump on dogma for some reason. We like black and white. But in most things, the truth lies in the gray. I will make dogmatic statements on Instagram to stir people up because yeah. that that increases engagement. <laughs> You're not too bad at it, though, I feel like. Okay, thank you. I, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, these days, of course, that's part of it, too, is like the algorithm rewards that dogmatic, the, the absolutes and the 100%. Mm -hmm. And really nothing is absolute or 100%. You know, even even what we deem fact isn't truly fact. It's it's the best it's the best bit of knowledge that we have on the subject right now. Things are always right. changing. So many things in the past through science that we once deemed fact, we've disproven and changed our thoughts on. So I always try to keep that in mind too. I I compare it to like you know in the fitness industry, there's exercises that I have people do that look ridiculous. Um, you know, some of them are like you know, segmented deadlifts or just being in spinal flexion under load, which most people would have a heart attack if you saw that in a commercial gym. However, you don't understand the context. You don't understand the why behind their coach yeah. may be doing it and stuff like that. But if you just see, or if you just hear of someone's protocol, we may think it's crazy, or we may think that's strange, but do we actually know the why behind it? So it's kind yeah, of like you know, judging behind the window. Yeah. Just like, you know, there was a time when the people would say like, you know, machines were useless and you didn't need them. Like, really? They're useless. Like, I, I don't think so. You know, like they do have a time and place. And, you know, there's so many things like that or like all carbs are bad. Like, it's like, it's crazy. We always go through these things and TRT is not absent of the kind of zealots for some reason. Um, so, you know, that, that's kind of something to watch for too. If, if you feel like your clinic is a zealot in either way and isn't willing to make some tweaks in their way of thinking based on you, then, you know, maybe you should look elsewhere. And I think I told you a story before of a, I had a, a really interesting case of a guy who was super in tune with his own body and had decades of lab work because he was a physician as well. And um, he was really interested in his lab work and he ended up having a testicular trauma. Uh, he had basically like an explosion go off and his testes got injured and he wasn't able to produce testosterone. Well, interestingly, looking back on all of his labs, his estrogen was always single digits and he always felt fine. Even though he produced adequate levels of testosterone, he didn't aromatize whatsoever. And he felt very good that way at a young natural age. 
when they put him on TRT and he started to aromatize at a greater rate, any estrogen that went into the double digits, he felt awful. He was crying all the time. He felt depressed. He was getting gyno and he wasn't making this stuff up. You know, he was very, very objective about it. And it was really interesting. And so like in that time, I mean, he came asking for an AI and we kind of made a you know mutual decision that maybe it would be worth trying. It didn't, he didn't end up liking it because they had some side effects too, but you know, it's like, there's some people who would say no AIs ever. And I'm like, well, in this case, maybe it was warranted. Um, right. That's a really tough case. I, don't, I still don't know if he's ever really figured out his, his hormones. He even was trying things like Nandrolone only because he was trying not to aromatize. And, you know, that's what I'm getting at that everybody is so genetically different that we can't just make these bold kind of big assumptions that one thing is better than the other. Some people do fine on two injections a week. Some people need seven injections a week, you know, so it, it really depends. Yeah, that that's kind of why I wanted to create the format I did at Silverback with panel discussions, because I think I gave you the list of the different panels I want to do. And I don't know if we'll get to all of them, but like, those are kind of what I would say, like the hot topics in TRT, the AI use, the hair loss medications, even like the ED um, uh, drugs, but not necessarily for ED. And then all the things that kind of everyone maybe be is dogmatic about, or they just aren't really sure just to yeah. have like an open, honest discussion. Um, yeah, it's which I think, yeah, it'll be fun. Like, you know, I don't think we'll have to like restrain anybody, but you know, I think it'll be entertaining, but also like I think the group that we attract at Silverback is a respectful group in the sense that everyone may be like, um, there are people that will be very open to hearing an opposing opinion and mm -hmm. actually maybe change their mind, God forbid. But like, I know everyone's position on most things who is attending and nobody's like a 180 from another. I think everyone is middle ground on a lot of stuff, but then there's some that kind of veer off here and there, which I think provides a healthy discussion. And you know, yeah, for sure. Opens I mean, door. if you're a true kind of like scientist or a clinician rooted in science, you should be really open to changing your point of view. And I'm always changing my point of view on stuff. You know, that's the definition, in my opinion, of being a scientist that when presented with new information that counters your old beliefs that you change your beliefs, you know? So there's a lot of things that I've recently changed my mind on. And, and I like that a lot of the panel speakers are probably very similar. And we may have some people change their mind. I might change my mind on some things if, you know, one of the physicians there was like, well, I've seen this data and I've seen this in anecdotal practice. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to change the, my thought on that. So it'll be a lot of fun. I've done that too. I mean, shit, when you said like, you know, machines were useless. Like I used to be that trainer <laughs> in like the early 2000s, like, functional trait like it literally like you had to be functional no machine was functional whatsoever and then like somebody i said or someone i heard say you know well why are bicep curls not functional if you have to like hold a baby or something in front of you or hold groceries or stuff like that yeah. and i was like hmm and then it became cool again to use machines because now you can train them at yeah. train the muscles at different lengths and all that stuff just like cardio like you know now aerobic conditioning is making a comeback and it's cool to do zone True. two where everyone yeah. used to brag, I got this ripped without cardio and fuck cardio and blah, blah, blah. Like I lift oh. weights faster. That's all people would say, you know, <laughs> it's well, funny. I, yeah. It's I becoming super popular. Person. Yeah, totally. There's still t-shirts on that. And there's still like, you know, people promoting that and Hey, you know, whatever works for you. Like, again, 
fitness, nutrition, TRT, like a lot of that stuff's going to be very individual and contextual. Um, what are some of the things that you've changed your mind on? Recently, probably more in like the nutrition space and more of some of the functional medicine stuff. So like, for example, things like endocrine disruptors, probably if you would ask me like three or four years ago, I would have said pseudoscience quackery, just propagated by holistic or functional practitioners in order to sell something. But then more and more data is coming out where there may be something to this. You know, maybe the plastics are acting as endocrine disruptors and maybe people are having skewed hormone panels due to their environment. Um, so I've de definitely changed my mind on that. Things like food intolerances, um, specifically things like gluten, because again, probably three or four years ago, I would have said, you know, only a fraction of a percent of the population has celiac disease and this whole gluten intolerance stuff is bullshit. But I had a personal experience with, uh, you know, my wife, Victoria has kind of this like undiagnosed, very close to like a psoriasis type dermatitis sometimes like every now and then she'll just get this like psoriasis breakout and no one's ever been able to truly diagnose this we got a punch biopsy and it did look psoriatic um but specifically there was one time that she we got these bagels that were like trending on instagram or something that were essentially these high protein bagels i don't know if you saw those but no. they were they were basically just made of gluten because it was like you know all wheat protein so you end up getting like 30 grams of gluten per serving so she ate one and then just had a massive uh, outbreak, like her whole neck broke out in this big psoriasis and around her eyes and it happened like two times when she, only when she introduced the bagel. So we were like, oh, interesting. Even though she doesn't have celiac disease and even though there's no test that would indicate that she has any intolerance to gluten, it actually seems to be causing these issues. And the same would go for like vegetables, you know, like I've definitely pushed back a lot on the carnivore community for saying like vegetables are killing us. Uh, but I do see with some people, there are some vegetables that people are kind of intolerant to and they have issues like rashes or you know achy joints and things when they eat them so i don't completely fall into that camp of vegetables are trying to kill us and you should cut all of them out but i definitely agree that if you're eating broccoli and every time you eat broccoli you get a rash and you get depressed and your joints swell up maybe cut out the broccoli you know and again a, a few years ago i would have said that's quackery and there's no evidence to support that so i tried to open up my horizons too and i think most people unfortunately like after you know, the, the pandemic and everything, a lot of us kind of changed our minds on the the status quo and the scientific communities because we realized like, oh, things aren't always as legit as we once hoped and thought they were. Things are kind of, you know, fueled by money and there's a little corruption and, and results come out. And, you know, so I, I definitely changed my mind with all of that too. Oh yeah. There, that's a whole nother tangent that we can go off on maybe with Rick. <laughs> he likes talking yeah. about it. <laughs> We should probably do that just at like the when we're not being recorded because you don't want your channel to be like shut down and demonetized and things like that. <laughs> well, it's funny because like Bedros reiterated to, to us this weekend, he's like, you want to be cancelable. He's like, get to that point where because if you do say something and then the time comes that you get canceled, there's enough of us in the network that we can, you know, make people leave the platform. And I'm like, okay, I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but you know, but it's the cancelable content, it fires that that stuff hits yeah. pretty well for some reason. But it I don't does. like being so controversial. Again, I'm always kind of hanging out in the gray, but that doesn't do well on, on social media. No, it doesn't. And and that's kind of like, I want to draw that at Silverback too. And I'm doing a fireside chat with Rick. I don't know if he knows this, but he'll find out. So we're going to do that on 
you know, probably a lot of the masculinity stuff. And and I think because like having a woman to ask him these questions breaks a little bit of like, well, it's two dudes talking about it type of thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that type of stuff and a lot of what goes on with like the trans community and the laws of testosterone and, you know, that whole area stuff like that um but oh glp ones that's what i was going to go into because the fitness industry like loves to take a side with this stuff and i've very i've been very open that i actually don't mind the use of these because of course the fitness and nutrition world is going to be like this doesn't teach people anything this isn't helping them and then they attach themselves to a lot of the media driven narratives that they're wasting muscle and they're going to have stomach paralysis and like you know all the things that are like maybe hyperbole i don't know but um i think that it can be useful like you were saying and helping somebody at least see results instantly and then get control of their appetite but there are like health benefits to some of them right yeah i mean i'll probably put a blatant statement out there i love them and i think they're great um for multiple reasons um yeah, essentially what they are is they're a glucagon-like peptide one um, mimetic, basically, and they act like that's what those do is increase the production of insulin, which in a type two diabetic whose whose beta cells are dysfunctional, that's great because they need insulin to shuttle in glucose in the muscles. More importantly, they're insulin sensitizing in your tissues, specifically your muscle tissues. So they're they're sensitizing your tissues to that insulin, so we can shuttle the glucose into them. And then there's been a lot of other um, data on other benefits of them, like cardiovascular benefits and neuroprotective benefits. I think they're being studied in like Alzheimer's research. So there's possibly all these neuroprotective and cardioprotective benefits. So I think they're great. And I push back on the fact that they're like this cheat and people can't learn on them. Um, I think it depends on the individual who takes them. So unfortunately, a lot of the data that we have, we took very obese individuals who were obese for years and had a certain lifestyle. And, you know, we gave them we gave them a drug for six months or so. And we also gave them dietitians and personal trainers and they made great results. And then we removed that. And of course, you know, these, maybe they're 40 years old and for 40 years, they haven't worked out and haven't eaten right or anything. And they reverted back to their old habits, like any other diet. I mean, we've all seen that as a trainer. You've seen it a million times. The second somebody stops paying you, they revert back to their old way. They gain everything back and lose it. Should we say that like all clients of Ali Gilbert, you go, go back to being fat as soon as they're done with her? No, it's just like, it's what happens, you know? So, um, what we see a lot in the clients that come to Merrick, since it's a different demographic of people who are usually a little bit more interested in their health, and maybe they've just got off track for a little bit. I've actually seen it be really beneficial for people to relearn hunger cues and hunger signaling. Um, One uh, example comes to mind of this woman who I, I believe was probably like 50 years old. And she remember her telling me for the past 30 years, she's tried every diet and every medication under the sun. She was doing things like FenFen and, and stuff like that. And every diet, and she always would gain all of her weight back. Um, we tried semaglutide with her. Now I saw her six months after coming off of the semaglutide and she maintained all of the weight loss and said that it was monumental for her because she took a lot of what she learned while she was on the semaglutide, like this is when I'm hungry and can stop eating and remembered that as she went on, because with semaglutide, what happens is if you eat past when you're full, you get sick, basically, Um, which I think you've taken it, right? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, like as soon as you eat and you're like, oh, I'm full. Like if you decide to push past that a little bit, that's when the nausea kicks in and the extreme discomfort and bloating. And so people learn quickly, like I'm going to stop eating at that point. And if you're cognizant of that and you learn that cue while you're on it, that can translate into being off of it too. So I think it's great for that. And then the whole muscle wasting thing, I think is just complete BS. Um, every single one of us, I mean, probably all of your listeners understands that if you're somebody who's trying to lose weight and you don't prioritize protein and you don't prioritize heavy lifting, you're going to lose muscle. Every bodybuilder knows this. I mean, that's why when they go into their cut, they all of a sudden ramp up their protein higher than when they were trying to build muscle and they lift probably just as heavy. That's what we've always been taught, like keep lifting heavy into your cut so you don't lose muscle. So of course, if you take these obese individuals, you give them semaglutide and now they're getting full on, you know, a cup of rice and they didn't get to the chicken on their plate and they sat around all day. Yeah, they're wasting, they're burning through protein. But if you put it into an athlete, I mean, you still have a ton of muscle and you've used a GLP. It's not like your muscle withered away. And that's true for uh, numerous bodybuilders that we've seen use it and fitness influencers and things. So yeah, I definitely think that's BS. Um, I really, really like Peter Atia, And I say, I pretty much agree with like 99% of what he says, but 1% I disagree with it was his stance on some of glutide. And for some reason, he really pushed hard on that. And then everybody started reiterating him that, oh, everybody's losing muscle. And I'm like, no, that's not the, I don't agree with that at all. No. And, and I've told fitness and nutrition coaches, I'm like, listen, we've been telling people what to do for years. They're not yeah. listening. Like, it, it's not like if you it's trying to yell somebody into a deeper squat. Like they just yeah. physically can't do it. And if you yell more or yell louder, it's not going to happen. And exactly. that's why I tried terzepatide and semaglutide. And um, for me, I'm like a chronic under eater. So I was like, this is dangerous. Like, cause yeah. you do feel the facts if you don't eat enough, but like, it does actually help you learn how to stop when you're full and, and those hunger cues. Isn't there a new one that came out that I can't even pronounce? It begins with an R this year. <clears throat> like retract, mm. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe there, there were, oh, there's a, a combo or well, the terzepatide is a combo. There's probably a newer one too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. But have there is like, res- I haven't, no. Um, but a lot of people close to me have. I just haven't, I've been maintaining for so long and I don't ever like need to, you know. I, I've kind of wished that I could for some of the longevity benefits, like the insulin sensitizing effects and neuroprotective effects. I just don't need to lose any more weight. So I fear like I already kind of struggle with that because I, I don't eat all day because I get so busy in my work. Like I'm like you, that's not my problem. So if it was something that I could take and, and not reduce my weight, that would be great. But I just like want to reiterate to people, there's nothing inherent in the drug that is like muscle wasting. It's literally just because these people don't consume enough protein and don't resistance train enough. And no matter what, even when you're, like I said earlier, Chris Bum said, he is going to lose some bit of muscle when he cuts down for the Olympia coming up. He will. It's just a fact of the matter. When you lose mass, you end up losing some muscle. We can offset that through trying to eat more protein and lift heavy. 100%. I I was in the gym yesterday and this woman came up to me. She's like, can I ask you how many grams of protein do you eat a day? And I was like, right now between like 185 and 200. And I thought she was going to like freak the fuck out. Right. And she was like, okay, that makes sense because I think I should be eating like 170. And I was like, oh, really? Like, you know, what made you think of that? And she's like, well, 
my intake's like 80 grams. And I just, I think that was way too small and I want to build muscle. And I was like, well, shit, this is not the usual conversation you have in the gym with women. So I was like, oh, this is awesome. Cause she's like, I read, she read on bodybuilding.com. So I was like, cool. And, you know, she's like, I read that in order to look the way I want and maintain my muscle, I have to eat protein. And I was like, yeah, I was like, all right. Like, you know, the the internet is starting to maybe change direction. (laughs) Again. Yeah. I mean, everything kind of changes and yeah, we get more and more evidence on things where before we thought it was pseudoscience and bro science, and then new information comes out and hopefully we change our mind on it. And are, are there other things that can help with body composition aside from the GLP ones that you guys use? Yeah. Well, I mean, even just like testosterone can be hugely beneficial for some, if you're in a true, if you have true like hypogonadism or low testosterone and you put your testosterone to normal higher end physiologic ranges, I think that'll definitely improve. It's going to improve your basal metabolic rate or increase it rather improve your nutrient partitioning, meaning the food you go to will go more towards building muscle and it'll increase protein synthesis rather than being stored as fat. So that's a huge one. And I would definitely say like, you know, I push back on the fact of building muscle and using it for body composition, but that's more in like taking a a mid-range testosterone to a higher end testosterone, there's probably not going to be a lot of improvement, but for a guy who was actually, you know, hypogonadal and we increase them to an upper end, I think there'll be huge body composition improvements. Again, not turning into Chris Bumstead, but maybe turning into a guy who looks good at the barbecue during the summer, you know, with their shirt off, which most guys would like, maybe the outline of their abs. Um, I think thyroid's another big one because if you're, you know, have hypothyroidism, that's basically the governor of your metabolism. Um, one thing that's interesting with thyroid is a lot of times increasing thyroid also increases hunger. So you may not get the body composition effects that you want. That's why when, when you look at the data, you don't actually see people lose weight when they fix their thyroid because usually their calories increase too. But if you're cognizant of your calories and you add in thyroid, that can be beneficial. Um, there's also peptides like uh, the GHRPs, growth hormone releasing peptides and increasing growth hormone and IGF-1 seems to have a favorable effect on increasing uh, lipolysis or the burning of fat for fuel and beta fatty acid oxid or fatty acid oxidation. Um, let's see. There's also an interesting one called AOD nine six zero four. Have you heard of that? Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I, I've tried it, but I never stick with them long enough to see anything. So I don't know. If I know. I I tried it for a little bit too. Same thing. Um, it seems promising on paper and mechanistically. Uh, I'd love to tell people that AOD stands for anti-obesity drug. I guess that's pretty cool. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, yeah, and yeah, what yeah. that is, is essentially they've taken the the growth hormone, which is a long peptide chain, and they've extracted out the part of growth hormone that's responsible for that burning fat for fuel part. And so you're only getting that aspect of the growth hormone, which I like because I think growth hormone has some inherent downsides like uh, insulin resistance and maybe fueling certain cancers via the increase in IGF one. And so I like the, it seems promising to me that we could just use the really beneficial part of growth hormone. So some people get really good benefits from it. Um, there's other stuff. Oh, go ahead. Uh, Growth hormone is one of the things that I get asked on a lot and the true difference between the peptides and GH and I've chosen not to become like a pseudo expert in that. Cause I just hand that off to you guys, but like people generally, they're like, obviously the price is a big differentiator, but even if you have all the money in the world, is it still better to take the peptides? 
Uh, I don't know. I'm going to come out and again, give a blanket statement. Like I said, I don't like to do. And I think growth hormone and peptides are a huge waste of money, to be honest. And that's from my own personal experience, of course. So here's the nuance part of it is that some people respond really well to them, but I haven't. And like I mentioned before, you know, I've used extremely high doses of things and I've used upwards of like 10 to 12 units of growth hormone a day, oh, wow. which is a lot because like, a, you know, our replacement is probably one to two. And so even using those high amounts, the only thing I ever saw was extreme water retention to the point where I legitimately had cankles as a very lean person. Like it looked, you would think I was obese if all you saw was my ankles because they were hanging over my shoes. Um, so it caused a lot of water retention and very little change in my physique. And it's never been proven to increase uh, muscle growth, maybe soft tissue growth, like tendons and everything seems to change bones a lot. So you know, you look at bodybuilders, they all have pretty similar faces with those really pronounced foreheads, their feet grow, their elbows get really pointy. I don't really know why we would want to be taking something that's causing that and not really doing much for the muscle. I think the idea is that it keeps you a little bit leaner, but I think just eating less keeps you leaner too. So, you know, it's not something that I love, especially when you look at, um, the effects on longevity. And this is probably my biggest like gripe with the, these longevity clinics and TRT clinics and stuff is when they promote growth hormone as, as a longevity medication. And that instantly tells me they have no idea what they're talking about when it comes to longevity. Because if you actually talk to true longevity scientists, which are usually pretty scrawny little, you know, things, because we know that like, the more you ramp up growth hormones, like growth hormone and IGF-1, you're accelerating life and you're speeding up life, which would mean that you're shortening your lifespan. And I try to put it into a context that people understand and think about like, when you're going through puberty, when you have the highest amounts of these hormones, think about when you see a kid who's like 16, you could see them and they go off for a week and they come back and they look like a new human. Like their life is so fast, you know, they're, they're aging so quickly. And that's what occurs. You look at the bodybuilders, a lot of those guys are in their 20s and 30s that'll be on the Olympia stage. And a lot of them look like they're in their 40s and 50s because they're in a chronic state of pure growth. They're always growing. Their protein is always being turned over. So that's why the longevity community will do things like fasting and lowering IGF-1 and lowering growth hormone. I think a balance needs to be struck to where you can still maintain a healthy physique that has muscle so that when you're 80, you don't fall and break a hip and that kills you, but also not just ramping up all these growth factors to where you're just speeding up everything and you end up you know, decreasing your lifespan. So I hope that made sense. But that's kind of a, a big gripe I have when they say, oh, take this for longevity, because it's not really it's making it's increasing your hair, skin, nail quality, like right now acutely, but long term, it's probably not great. That And I'm glad you said that about peptides, because like, I mean, back in like the 2010s when when they weren't really even available legally when there were the research chemicals that you buy online i think about every single one i don't yeah. know what they did and i was like oh like you know i'm gonna try this i'm gonna try this never felt a difference and then when they were legal still like melanotan i think i'm the only person it didn't work for because i oh, love really? spray tanning and i'm like yo i took it i swear i took it for a week maybe i need to take it longer but i was like i'm in florida i walk in the sun every day I'm nauseous as hell and I want to hump a tree, but I'm not tan. Like what's going on? Isn't that yeah. weird? Yeah. Melanotan, I actually think is, oh, that's another one I changed my mind on recently. So 
I've kind of thought at least that mel- melanotan could potentially be detrimental and cause like um, skin cancer potentially, because it makes sense to me that if you're increasing melanocytes and melanoma is a cancer of the melanocyte, and the, usually the more that we produce cells, we increase the chance that one of those will be malignant. But then recently there was a paper that came out where they actually use melanotan as a treatment for melanoma. So that was pretty interesting. Um, I'm still not 100% convinced, but I've, it sparked my interest. Um, so you know, always change your mind on things. But yeah, a lot of them, it's like for how expensive they are, sometimes I'll tell them like, this is the most expensive fat burner out there where you would be a lot better off just like getting my fitness pal or chronometer and counting your calories because that's going to be the thing that works. Um, I think they have a lot of utility in short bursts, more for more for people who are going through heavy bursts of training. So whether um, like you're training for a, a tough mutter or something, and you know, you're going to be increasing your mileage, like that's one's perfect, because they can help to improve your recovery. And that's when I like to use them. But just using them year round, like some of these clinics give people so that they feel like they're younger. I, I don't like the idea of that that kind of scares me. Yeah. And a lot of clients are, you know, who have tried it have said, I didn't feel anything. Yeah. And they probably spent, you know, 800 bucks or something from one of these clinics, which is crazy. Um, so I'm always like, it, it, I don't sleep well at night and telling somebody trying to sell somebody on the benefits of them, where if they have done their research and they really want to try it I'm like, sure, let's, you know, we can come to a, a mutual agreement here with some shared decision-making on why it might be beneficial for you. But there are some of those clinics that are pushing it as like, you know, this miracle drug that's going to make you look shredded and have all these muscles. And I'm like, eh, maybe not. Some people get good results. A lot of us don't. Yeah. It reminds me of like vitamin shop. Like you can walk in there and it, you feel like you have to take everything in order yeah. to reap the benefits of like what this does, what this does, what this does. And it's like, you literally, it makes you feel like you have to take every single peptide because it has this miracle, you know, performance thing that it does. <laughs> You're like, I want to be tan. I want to lose fat. I want to be anabolic. You know, like I want my mitochondria to be like on fleek, like sure yeah. we all do, but does injecting 15 things a day require that? Like that's another yeah, probably the best thing would probably be to just have a, a good nutrition and exercise and sleep well. And then you're going to have like phenomenal results. But for some reason, that's too easy. Victoria and I talk about this all the time. Like humans love things to be complicated. And you, I think personal trainers and nutrition coaches see that more than anybody else, because, you know, we've always known that as like personal trainer that, you know, that they can get the benefits from like a squat bench and deadlift, and they would have a phenomenal physique. They don't want to hear that. They want you to put them on the BOSU ball and be doing like a crunch and a bicep curl and a one-legged squat all at one time, because in their mind, they think I'm not going to get the results unless it's super complicated. And same goes through nutrition. You tell somebody just eat a little bit less calories. No, that can't be the fat. Like it has to be that I need to eat at 3.03 PM and I have to have 56 grams of carbohydrates and I need to inject this thing. Like people have this weird pathology where unless it's complicated, we don't believe it. Yeah, it, it's that <laughs> not be further from the truth. Like people think it's weird. Some of Some of the programs we have are not periodized programs. And the exercises don't really change for like three or four weeks and they freak out. And yeah. and I'm like, you're still progressing and adding weight every week. Why would we change that? Right. Nothing miraculous happens, you know, but they think that. So um, yeah, that this is why like, I'm excited to have these conversations at Silverback because I think it'll help provide the attendees some understanding that like, hey, there are physicians that aren't trying to shove peptides down your throat every day 
that some people may have experienced. And we do have a lot of medical practitioners attending who want to learn from you guys because they were never taught this stuff. And then they're perhaps stuck in clinics that are peddling these things that maybe they want to get out of it or start their own and stuff like that. So yeah. I think, yeah and conversely, awesome. on this subject, I would also say sometimes I think they're underutilized, like coming from my background of you know foot and ankle surgery, I would have loved to have been able to prescribe like BPC-157 and TB-500 to my patients who I repaired their Achilles, you know, like there's good data to support that those can actually increase uh, or increase healing or decrease healing time which would have been awesome, but they're not approved and they're not used in, in classical medicine, you know? So I think, again, it goes back to the nuance. There's times and places for everything and everything's individual. Sometimes I get guys asking me like, oh, I heard this Wolverine stack, BPC-157 and TB-500 is great. Like, do I need it? And I'm like, do you have an injury? Are you really sore after your trade? Like, why, why do you think that you need it? And well, I just heard it's great. Rogan talked about it. And I'm like, well, it's great under certain circumstances, but I mean, hey, if you want to, you know, shell out a few thousand dollars for it, I guess it's not going to hurt, but you're not, it's not, you're not going to get anything out of it right now. Let's no. hope you know, again, just like TRT, let's hope you never need it. The goal would be to never need BPC-157. Hopefully you never have tendonitis, just like TRT. Hopefully you never have low testosterone, but for some reason, people are always looking for an excuse to like, when can I use that thing due to unfortunately the advertising of it? I know I used uh, BPC 2019, I got my breast implants taken out and my surgeon was like, how did you heal so fast? And like, you can't tell them what you took. Cause they don't know what it is. So I'm like, I don't know, nutrition, you know, whatever, like, but it worked really cool. well. And then I took the oral one for when I had a parasite, which is great for like stomach repair, but otherwise you don't have to live on it. Yeah. You know, you have to take it every month, every, every single, uh, month of the year. So anyway, yeah. um, if people would like to hear more, they can go look at your YouTube with, you have like a phenomenal amount of podcasts on the Atlas optimization channel, which is awesome. Very entertaining. You guys can hear a lot more from Adam. Where else can people find you? Um, also on Instagram and that's uh doctor period, AE Hotchkiss. I'm sure it'll be in show notes or whatever. Um, I think that's about it. Merrick Health, if you want to meet up with me, um, and then you can do our nutrition coaching, not to take away from Ali's uh, program and stuff, but we have oh Atlas Optimization also where we do nutrition coaching. And if you want to do any of the hormone stuff, that's uh, exclusively at Merrick for me. But if you want like some help with nutrition and lifestyle stuff, then we also do that at Atlas. Yeah, it, Victoria's awesome. And we don't do nutrition only. So if oh, that's cool. what you guys want. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on today. Dude, super pumped to see you in November, uh, both at maybe the Olympia and then definitely Silverback. Yeah, can't wait. And I will see hopefully some of you listening there and uh, come up and introduce yourself. I love to meet everybody. Yes, come say hi. Bye.